Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Tyrese Halliburton and you're listening to Setting the Pace. here of setting the pace Fachi is with me and this is probably some of your guys' favorite episodes now because once a month we've got the great caitlin cooper on to talk pacers basketball with us she is a legend in the basketball world so caitlin what's going on how are you hey thanks for having me back on again we've made it to the off season the on season is over we're on to the off season and i was about to say it feels like summer but where i've been it hasn't really felt like summer yesterday it was spitting snow a little bit when i went outside so that's kind of a bummer yeah, it's it's definitely been an up and down weather season this year for sure. And I mean, I'm I'm sitting here like loving the weather on Saturday, windows down. I've even got a little bit of a sunburn on my arm from it being outside my vehicle while driving. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it's snowing uh, in Indianapolis. I was at Granger picking up something for my work, and I walk out the store, and boom, it just got me right in the face. I was freezing. I said, "What what just happened here? It's only been two days." But I guess we could maybe kind of compare that to the Pacers with their inconsistencies this year, but. You know, there's a lot of ways we could go with that. But I think first things first, I guess just to kind of put a bow on the season, um, give me one or two takeaways that really stuck with you, like a good one and a bad one, and maybe in a way the Pacers can kind of improve upon something and something that, you know, they were like really good at this year that maybe you didn't think they'd be good at. I actually think we can nail both of those out with the same talking point. Okay. I wrote about this a little bit last week, the defense. Yeah. So I actually think there is some positive to come away from. I'm surprised. I'm guessing that's probably going to come to a surprise to many, but last year at this time, I just wanted to be able to watch what they were doing on defense and actually be able to understand like, what are you willing to live with? What are you taking away? What is the mission on that end of the floor? And I don't completely blame anyone involved for that. It took on a lot of different forms because the roster took on a lot of different forms as the season went on. They had to completely remake themselves at the trade deadline. So they went, you know, from playing Miles and Drop to hedging with Sabonis to hedging with both of them to playing Switch and nothing was ever like fully composed. And I never fully knew what, like I said, the mission was. This year, the defense still wasn't good. We all know that. But if you look at it and you watch it, you understand what they were trying to accomplish, even if the execution wasn't there and even if the personnel didn't fully allow them to do it to the fullest level. They incorporated a lot more peel switching, a lot more nexting. They made the paint the priority. Obviously, they gave up a lot at the basket and a lot of rim frequency, but when you watched what they were doing, they had a very heavy nail presence. All of that was there, so you could understand that. Now, on the flip side of that, when you ask me what's a negative to take away, 
obviously what everybody said at the exit interviews, the defense has to get better. If they're going to become a better team next year, if they do want to make the playoffs or have that type of a conversation, they can't be putting out the defensive effort that they were over those last, especially eight or 10 games once Miles wasn't on the floor anymore. So that's kind of the biggest things that I would be looking at to correct. And it seemed like they thought that they could do a lot of things organically, which kind of what else are you going to say? Like it's, correct for them as a coaching staff and for the players to want to have internal improvement. I don't know if I'm quite as bullish on having that many guys improve enough where you wouldn't need to make other changes to correct what's going on. But I think the defense answers both of those questions. You know, the defense is definitely where you got to start because this was a record or a franchise best offensive output, whatever you want to say, the most points scored in franchise history but it's in a season where you don't even make the play in because the defense was that bad. So it shows that's where you have to start. But I'm curious for you, what's the vibe for you compared to last season where the Pacers ended on a 10-game losing streak compared to this season? Now, they ended, yes, on a win, maybe a win no one really wanted, but <laughs> we're going to this offseason with, it feels like a totally different vibe. What's your vibe on the outlook going to this offseason compared to last if I'm gonna, am I gonna sound like Kevin Pritchard if I say I'm? I they have a lot of options. They have a lot of optionality. <laughs> I feel like that's where it's going. I mean, if we look at, I mean, the the focus over those last eight games or so was about the youth, right? We're looking at mm-hmm. Benedict Matherin. We're looking at Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, and and Andrew Nemhard, and whether they took steps forward. Unfortunately, Chris only played I think one of those games, so I still don't fully have a handle on where his place is with this team, or if he's going to continue to be part of the team, or where they exactly stand with him. Benedict, I feel like was a little bit up and down. I didn't hear what you guys thought over him you know, taking on a bigger role and moving into the starting lineup. I thought that there was some really good moments, especially, I mean, that last game, he had scores over 30. There were moments where, you know, he and Isaiah Jackson and Andrew Nemhard were all involved in the action at one point in time, like one specific possession. They were running Spain, New York, I should say stack, because that's what the Pacers call it, stack screening. New York covered it perfectly, and Benedict had the ball as the stack screener, and he actually motioned for Isaiah to come up and, get the ball at the elbow, and then he went into split action with Andrew. So they kept playing. Point of that being is even when the play didn't go as they intended for it to, that's three young guys figuring out how to get to the next action and continue playing. I thought that was good for him. But then there was also moments, you know, where his handle still isn't looking quite where you want it to be, especially if he's doing a right-to-left cross out of a standstill when he's not playing against the tilted defense. That's going to have to get tighter. The defense still had the negative elements, too, where, you know, Rick Carlisle's pulling him out, and what was that, the first quarter, when he gives um, Emmanuel quickly a middle drive right to the basket in the and-one in semi-transition. That's That is going to have to tighten up, and it's not even just the on-ball defense. He's still having issues away from the ball, too. So... I thought he was a bit up and down. I did like that you could notice almost every game that they were running a play. I think they call it early where they were trying to get him the ball in like that Jordan Kobe spot, like right outside the block where they wanted him to get in isolation and see if he could create his own shots. And again, like his reads are going to have to continue to develop next year. Because, you know, against New York's defense, when they flood strong side, that's not really a situation where you want to drive when Mitchell Robinson's rotating over to you. That's a case where you want to create your own shot from the perimeter. Then in some of the other games, I felt like he was a little bit dependent on, you know, getting to the step back too, which isn't the most efficient shot. But I think some of that was by design by the Pacers because they kind of wanted to give him training wheels. Like, hey, we're going to put you closer to the basket, see if you can create your shot. And if you can, then we can move you out to three. So... 
I think kind of monitoring what Benedict was doing was probably my biggest thing over the last seven or eight games. I wrote a piece that people can read about on Patreon where I talked about, you know, evaluating him in the present future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think that's great points because Benedict has had such a really kind of up and down season. Started out super strong. I think everybody was really excited about what he could become. And then I think, you know, Carlisle kind of changed his role a little bit in terms of being more than just a scorer. And we saw that over the last probably half of the season where he was put in this different role, especially when Tyrese went out with the injury and he had to become a starter. And it's just a bigger responsibility. And I think that one of the main things I noticed from him is, like you said, he just ball watches a lot. He, he doesn't fight hard enough to me over uh, over screens. His screen navigation really needs to improve as well. And like you said, that handle, it's it's not ever really been good. I think that was one of his negatives and coming into the, the draft last year was like, you know, he's got athleticism, but like how good is he at like being able to, we know he can get to like a straight line drive to the basket, but how is he going to be able to cross, do that kind of stuff and, and really develop more shots than just the, the guy that gets to the rim. And I think maybe a mid-range shot could be something he adds to his game as well, but Overall, I think that defensively, he's just going to have to really take that next step, especially because I think we talked about this last time, what they decided to do with the starting lineup and how they go about, uh, you know, Andrew Nimhard playing with Benedict and Tyrese or maybe Andrew coming to the bench or what do they do with Andrew? I just feel like you can make the case, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, that overall, maybe Nimhard even had a more successful rookie season than Mather. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I I find myself often wishing that you could combine them into one player. Yeah. Imagine yeah. the rookie season that yeah. guy would have Ooh. had cuz they're kind of exact opposites of each other. Like if you could give Nemhard Benedict's rim pressure and his yeah. ability to draw contact because Nemhard just doesn't have that same degree of elevation and body control around the basket and sometimes you know he really likes to play off of contact more although we did see him take some strides there in certain games like coming out of halftime against the Bucks he was really aggressive getting to the rim. Nemhard has a much higher defensive floor, so that feels a lot more reliable. And then he had, you know, some several good games down the stretch in the playmaking role. Like, I think pretty highly of what he's able to do operating the pick and roll as a rookie, especially up in Toronto. I mean, we can I can nitpick that coverage a bit. Like, Will Barton was guarding him at the point of attack. There was times where the Raptors were giving him straight line drives to the rim when TJ McConnell was a stack screener. That should never happen. Should never happen under any circumstance, and yet it did. But... I mean, Andrew had the rough spot when Tyrese initially went out when he first kind of took the helm over the offense, and there was other contributing factors to that. I think that was right around the time when he got sick as well, and it kind of felt like he hit the rookie wall there a bit and kind of had to push through. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting conversation to have. I guess it depends how bullish you are on Benedict being able to build out his defense. If he can become more consistent on that end, he has the higher ceiling, but I think Andrew has the more reliable floor. I agree with with that man I, I can't imagine if you did combine the two of them though that that's something to get excited about though you know obviously we can't do that but uh for Matherin there was a time on the year where it was like is this the sixth man of the year is this potentially the rookie of the year all rookie first team and now we got some of the analysts sleeping on him a bit I understand that his usage rate was higher in the beginning of the year and he does have some things to work on his defense three-point shooting etc but now we're starting to see him kind of slip to being projected an all-rookie second team. The big debate feels between Jay Nivey, Benedict Matherin. You got to factor in over here. The Pacers actually won double the amount of games of the Pistons. In the end, do you think Matherin ends up on that all-rookie first team, or is it potentially more of the second team? 
I think most people probably lean toward Jaden because Jaden had a stronger close to the season than Benedict did. I think overall, this is going to sound harsh, but I don't really care that much about all rookie second team. I, I don't. I don't think most people probably do. In the long run, they probably don't remember that. What I think the Pacers and Benedict probably care more about is, you know, between he and Jaden. If you look at his fit with the Pacers, I'm. I mean, it, by all reports, the Pacers were very interested in Jaden Ivy last year around the draft. I think that Jaden still projects to be most successful with the ball in his hands and utilizing his athleticism in that way. I don't really like his decision-making a lot of the time, although it did get better. Like, if you remember that first game that Jaden Ivey played against the Pacers at the beginning of the season, he was doing so much wild stuff around the basket, and he really tamed some of that out by that last matchup, especially during the first half. But, you know, Benedict in his most ideal role and what he's able to do from a second-side operator, especially if he starts hitting some more of the catch-and-shoot threes, which for me, I'm not an expert shot doctor, but I think one of his biggest problems is he tends to double clutch because his gene is to catch and drive first when he is wide open in catch-and-shoot situations. If he was just used a more fluid fluidity going into the shot, I think that that would be helpful to him instead of standing and then making the choice afterwards in his catch-and-drive or shoot-and-drive situations. But Benedict in the long run, I think, makes more sense with Tyrese. If he's playing to the capability that he's able to and what he can do in an off-ball role, I just think that's the better fit. But my guess to answer your question is that Jaden will get the nod over him if it comes down to the two of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, this is more of like the fans just want to see Benedict get the the flowers that we think he deserves because obviously like it, it does feel like recency bias a little bit just because it's kind of what happens a lot of times with voting. You kind of forget what happened in October and November because I even forget what happened a lot of times a few months ago, let alone a few days ago. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be fun to see how he grows. And I'm just I'm curious, you know, I don't want to keep talking about Ben, but I'm, I'm just curious, you know, with this Pacers team, uh, before we get into Kevin Pritchard's press conference, I'm curious your thoughts on some of the stuff he said there. But before we get into that, I'm, I'm just curious, looking at this team overall, um, where do you think they're headed to next season if they don't make a drastic uh, trade or an offseason move and they kind of keep uh, the similar roster, is there going to be enough internal growth that they could become more than just, uh, you know, out right outside the play-in tournament or maybe even in the play-in tournament? But do you think they can make a massive, you know, leap with just keeping the same group they have? Yeah, it's interesting. I had a mailbag question, I think, in March where somebody asked – if they thought, if I thought Miles would be an all-star next year. And this kind of relates to that because when you look at the numbers over like the last five or six seasons, teams that have two all-stars typically are in solid playoff position. Like teams don't typically get rewarded with more than one if they're not on a winning team. So my thought process was, even though I felt, I feel pretty good about where Miles' season was this year. I think he played excellently. I think he met expectations for the most part is that, Tyrese and Miles already just had a career year. Tyrese was just an all-star. If you repeat on that, we know what the results just were. So in order for them to get to that next level, it's what you just said. Like, if they're going to have a second all-star, it's probably going to be somebody they bring in in free agency, they trade for, or because Benedict or somebody else on the roster makes a really big leap to get them into that. Like, I don't think that they can repeat on this exact same season because when you look down the line, it's kind of like what Kevin Pritchard pointed out. They had a lot of guys having career type seasons. Like, can Buddy play better than what he just did? Like, I don't know. 
Miles played really well. I think there are some certain things that Miles could still get better at, but he just played really well. Tyrese just played really well. So in my opinion, I think that they would still be near to the same range potentially in play and mm. position unless other things break. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if they would just keep this roster and they stay healthy, yes, maybe you're trending towards 500, but it definitely feels that even that seven-win improvement right there, it feels like I don't see this team internally getting to close to 50 wins or anything unless you bring in a more established all-star level player. But transitioning over to KP's you know, press conference, one thing that I love that he said was there's not going to be too many decisions that Halliburton won't be a part of. How awesome was it to hear how involved they want Tyrese in these decisions compared to recent years and star players that we've had or you know franchise players that weren't involved? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I was surprised at how polarizing that was. There were some people that didn't seem very much in favor of that and that they were going to be giving him that type of control, which I do think Kevin Pritchard couched it to an extent and said like, we want to seek his input. We want to ask him those types of questions, but we don't want to put that pressure on him either. Like it's still going to be our decision to be making. And I like that he added on at the time and said that, you know, we want Tyrese to be comfortable. It's our job to make his job easier. And the reason I bring that up is here in the last week, I did a podcast with some people from Houston because they wanted to ask some questions about Frank Vogel and the time that he was here and, and how he helped Paul George. And I was thinking back to the season in 2016, 17, when Larry Bird in the summer came out publicly and said, Paul George is going to play the four. And Paul George was kind of like bristled at that. Didn't want to do it. Did it for one preseason game. And rightfully so, in my opinion, because that, that scheme defensively that they played at the four spot, you had to step out above the level. He was just coming back from having a shattered leg. You're having to box out against bigger guys. And the way that he had blossomed into the player that he was, was at the three spot. You, you were asking your franchise player, your star player to do something that made him less comfortable. So to hear Kevin Pritchard say like, yeah, we want to seek his input. We, we want him to have his job be easier. That was a big turning point. Like you're bringing up because I mean, who can remember Paul George saying at the trade deadline before he got moved when he was like, I wasn't in the loop. I didn't mm -hmm. know what was going on. Like they didn't involve me in that. And like, and Kevin Pritchard did, modify his comments from that athletic article last year but we also know that he was on the record saying you know we need to go find that manufactured real star when they had a two-time all-star in their locker room which he later said you know that was in reference to him saying they needed to find somebody to help them during closing time but they've never exactly ever pushed their star players out there as this is our guy this is our franchise player and it feels like you know it's everybody behind Tyrese that, you know, this is our direction. He is our direction. And we're going to be keeping him in mind with what decisions we make. And that's kind of refreshing when you think about it, because how many of these prior seasons could you really tell which one of those five guys they were behind and who they were building around? I don't think they really were like the roster was somewhat tailored to be a Victor Oladipo team, but not completely. Even when you'd ask them those types of questions, they'd be like, we have a complimentary core. Like it mm. was never, built around like they certainly weren't building a roster around Sabonis in any way shape or form but because you know Doug McDermott wouldn't have probably been on another team if that's what they were doing but um, yeah so I, I actually think what you brought up there Michael is really important I think that that was a, a changing point of a comment yeah I think a lot of it's just learning from experience too because they've seen how they've kind of been burned a little bit by by themselves and by the players that have been the face of the franchise at the time you know 
like you said, the Victor Oladipo thing was weird. I don't know if Kevin Pritchard said this in his press conference or the interview that he did on the morning radio show that I listened to, but he basically said like, yeah, I thought the relationship was really good, but then it changed. And I think by saying that you're opening up this, you know, whole new thing where you're telling people, okay, I learned from that. I want to make sure that my relationship with Tyrese is very open and honest. And I, I agree. I think it was great that he did take that thing back where he said, I'm going to be the one that makes a decision at the end of the day. So it's not all the pressure on Tyrese, but I think that's really smart because we know one thing, Tyrese Halliburton knows basketball very, very well. And so if he feels like there's a player out there that can play with him, I think that's huge. And you talked about him being a recruiter as well. So there's a lot of great things there. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Curious, though, is there something that stood out to you besides that that KP said that you would like to talk about? Well, it, it felt like they were a bit noncommittal on Buddy Heald. I don't know how you guys felt. I felt but the exact same way. I'm I mean, right there with you. Yeah, because he said that they challenged him to be better on defense, and I don't think that Buddy was necessarily pushing back on anything, but then when Buddy was in his exit interview, he's basically like, nobody in the NBA is going to stop anybody one-on-one, which I think there is a middle ground here. 
I think that they do need internal improvement from guys. You can't, the fact that their entire defensive scheme was built around trying to stop penetration and they still gave up that much rim pressure means that players have to be better. They have to make changes. But I also agree with Buddy that in the modern NBA, you're asking a lot and expecting a lot if you think you're going to stop guys dribbling off a pick or with blow buys. So there does have to be somewhat of a middle area there, but Kevin Pritchard directly said, like, I don't remember him necessarily calling out anybody else by name and saying, hey, we challenged that guy specifically to get better on defense other than Buddy. And then, you know, he also talked about that he really likes Buddy and how much he appreciates how much Buddy loves basketball and how important he was. But he also said, like, we need to find a role that he's comfortable with which led me to believe that they're already thinking that the change that they made at the end of the season with Benedict moving into the starting lineup, that they're prepared to move forward with that next year. And they need to know that Buddy's going to be comfortable coming off the bench, but that's just me reading tea leaves. I don't know how you guys took it. That is exactly what my follow-up was going to be is that I wonder if there was a little bit of pushback because this is Buddy going to a bench role on a non contending team right now. And obviously we've known all season, this had to happen at some point. You have to prioritize the development of Benedict Matherin. So do you feel that Buddy would still embrace that bench role, maybe ride out the final year of his contract? Or do you think it's going to be, hey, if there is an opportunity to go to a winner, you know, I I would like to be moved. This is a guy who's never played in the playoffs before. And would his value ever be higher? He's just coming off a a season where he just, you know, broke records for threes here, at least from the franchise that he played Mm -hmm. for. So if he comes back and he's in a bench role and he doesn't play as well because he's not playing next to Tyrese as much, you Um, might actually be able to move. You might be able to move him now. I mean, I I think more highly of Buddy Heald than probably the majority of people do. I just think he's really smart and really good at respacing and one of the best stack screeners in the NBA. I think his gravity is important. But I would also understand if they're thinking like, you know, it's time. We need to get Benedict this role. We need to have him in the starting lineup. And if Buddy's not comfortable with that, then it probably is time to move. And like I said, I, I doubt that his value would be higher than it is right now if he's coming off the bench in a bench role. But maybe he would surprise me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, anytime Kevin Pritchard like responds to a question and they ask him if you know about keeping Buddy, he's like, well, I love Buddy. I, anytime you start out a sentence like that, that doesn't seem like you're really committing to anything. Uh, and if if I remember correctly, I don't even think I heard KP mention Chris Duarte's name once. I don't think it happened in this press conference. And, you know, that's it's just giving me vibes of like, OK, they're not that invested in him as much as maybe they were last year because – when they drafted him, I mean, he was talking about maybe being one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. That's what KP said. So, you know, I still think that there is room for Duarte to, you know, flourish in the NBA, but on the right team. I don't know if this is the right team for him, especially with how many guards we have. But there was a lot of stuff that was said here. And I think one other thing that was really interesting, because I just find that when Kevin Pritchard is so transparent, it's kind of like, why are you being so transparent to the media? But he said that he really liked the the year Neesmith had but said, I don't know if he's a starter or not. And I'm kind of curious what your thoughts were on that and what that does maybe for a player that would, was starting a lot to hear those comments from his president of basketball operations. Especially when Aaron's a guy that I feel like, I don't know if anybody on that roster, this is a very cliche thing to say, but I don't know if anybody plays harder than Aaron Neesmith. Like that guy's willing to run through a brick wall. Um But I also understand Kevin Pritchard. That might be him somewhat challenging Aaron to continue working and getting better. And at the four spot, 
if they're thinking, you know, we want Benedict to start, we still value having Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup and we have to adjust having more size there. There are certainly moments where you can point to where Aaron try as hard as he might just isn't big enough to defend at that position, especially with some of the cross matching. Like just as an example, they're up in Toronto, Benedict's struggling to fight over the screens and the drop coverage to the point where in the fourth quarter, they're like, hey, we just can't do that anymore. So they took miles off of uh, Pirtle, put Neesmith onto Pirtle so they could switch the ball screens. That's all well and good. That, that Then you're taking away the ball screen coverage, but then they're, Pirtle's so good at floating in space and being able to manufacture angles around the basket. He's just like cutting in front of him and there's nothing Aaron can do in that situation. So it's it's how do you find an augmented version of that. And that's not me trying to downgrade Aaron's season. I think he had a good year. I think he improved somewhat with reads as the season went on. Um, and what he did defensively as a perimeter defender, I think overall, he was one of the strongest ones right there with Nemhard. But how do you find somebody who can do what he did in a bigger body and at a higher level and more consistent level as a shooter as well is probably on Kevin Pritchard's docket. I mean, Rick Carlisle basically described that guy. He was like, look, we need somebody at the four spot who's going to be able to hit shots and, and and defend and do all these things. He's like, those guys are pretty hard to find. You know, most teams in the NBA want that. But that's probably where Kevin Pritchard's thinking is going. I don't always know why, you know, from a media standpoint, it's nice that he's as transparent oh, as he is. But great. but I don't I don't know how people necessarily always take that. But, yeah, that was another thing that definitely stood out right along with uh, – I mean, I guess it's some of it's basic math, but he also said he doesn't have any plans to bring five kids to the franchise next year. So <laughs> it, we can all know that they're not going to use all five of those picks. Yeah. I don't know why you would that say is, that. That doesn't make sense it, to say that, it, but yeah. I get it. I don't know why you reveal the hand, but, but I think it, it lets us feel that, hey, you know what? He's talked about making some moves, five picks, way too much on a young team right now. But speaking about this team being young, one of the things that I, that I liked is – Pacers elected to rest some of their starters down the stretch. Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner. Now they're going down, they're going into this offseason healthy. Something that Turner wasn't last year, but last offseason felt like we saw a lot of players buy in. And we know that this team, they're they're young, it feels very tight knit, you know, all on mostly the same timeline. How bought in do you feel they can be this offseason, having played together for a full year and tasted some success but not achieved full success yeah i mean that was definitely interesting with miles because he had that kind of powerful quote where he said that he wants to make sure that people know that this is more than just a flyover city that stood mm -hmm. out for me and the fact that the year after when he played on the world cup team and then he had the toe injury at the end of the the Bjorkren season, correct? The turf toe injury. Mm -hmm. I remember watching throughout that wondering, like, is he going to get invited to go to the Olympic training camp? And you never heard any rumblings on that after he was the starting center for the World Cup team about him going and, and playing for Pop. And I didn't know in the back of my head, I'm like, is that because he's still dealing with the injury? And maybe he was. And just like he said last year, he's like, I basically didn't get a play pickup last year because I was working on, you know, my body and getting back to full health and not wanting to risk re-injury and other things. So just getting him back on the court. And it seems like, I mean, he's always very confident in his abilities to, and, and what he's going to show all of us. He speaks very, very actually on that a lot of the time but he seems like he still thinks he has a next level to go to and I also thought it was refreshing to just flat out hear from Tyrese that like hey I can't be challenging other people to be better on defense unless I'm better at defense and him admitting that. that 
him admitting that like I'm getting overpowered because that was a really big trend toward the back end of the season. I remember wondering early on in the year, the very first game they played against Toronto, he was guarding Otto Porter Jr. And the Raptors like were not putting him into screening action. And I was just thinking that's a weird person not to be targeting in the post, especially given the way that the Raptors play. And then over the back end of the season, it just became more and more prevalent a thing. And I agree with him. I don't think positionally he's always bad. It's more so a strength issue. So him saying that he's willing to go lift weights five out of seven days and that that's going to be a huge part of what he does while also balancing what, you know, he he's his agility is and his pace and how important that is to the scheme. I think that it's reasonable to think that those guys could make strides next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think that Tyrese, I was listening to one of the podcasts that he's on because he's been on quite a bit of podcasts this season. And one of the things he said is like, yeah, my my first come to the NBA moment was when I started getting targeted in screens. He's like, that's like the worst thing to feel is like, usually when you play, you're you're the best player. And he's like, then you get to the NBA and they're targeting you on screens and now you're having to defend these players at a high level. And it's not easy. And so I thought it was also really interesting that Pritchard talked about how the Pacers have led in shot blocking for a while and how that isn't always a reflection of a, of a good thing. And that means that there's too many people getting to the rim against the Pacers. And I think he was challenging everybody. Obviously we know that they were, but like they've got to get so much better on the perimeter defensively because they're relying too much on miles and even Isaiah when he's in there and even Jalen when he's in there to, to kind of be that last line of defense. And I think, They've just got to be better at the point of attack defensively. And I, I was really glad that KP brought that up because a lot of times you don't hear a ton about defense. You hear like in cliche moments, but I thought that was a really telling thing for KP to say as well. Yeah, because I've heard a quote before where you talk about, you know, you're happy when a mouse trap works, but you don't want to need to have a mouse trap. That's great. I like that. That's kind of the same thing with blocks. Like you're glad when Miles racks up a lot of blocks, but ideally you don't necessarily want to have to be constantly putting him in rotation. So -hmm. that was kind of the thing too, even during the Bjorken season, right? Like his block numbers were absurd, but they were funneling so much to him and he was having to carry so much of the burden. And I think even some of those guys too, like it's funny when we talk about getting targeted in screens because Tyrese was definitely like probably most victimized by that down the stretch in part because there's also the added incentive of, you know, he's so important to the offense. If we're constantly making him work on defense, we're taking away some of what he can be doing in pace. Maybe, maybe he gets tired and he's not as willing to push off of makes and misses. And, but like, if you run down that roster, I can point to almost a game where every single player on that team was targeted. And one like, and it makes you think like, okay, all these scouting departments are are looking at all of this and evaluating, you know, the top guys on the list. Okay, who's here's who we want to screen for, and they all had different opinions, and they were all proved right to a certain extent, right? Like, I mean, we can even look at that. Like I just said, like we can even look at the most recent game they played at Toronto, and they're in the third quarter, and they're trying to get Wara or Neesmith. Like Fred Van Fleet was having OG screen for him first, and then bringing Miles so that he could go at Miles after he already had Wara on ball and and do that and drop. So even one of your better defenders, they were trying to get Andrew Nemhard isolated against Pascal Siakam. We can look at the Utah game and see Colin Sexton doing that against Tyrese. We can see Luca doing that against Tyrese. We can look at Jalen Brunson and be like, oh, he targeted Buddy Heald. At the end of that Knicks game, we can say, oh, Emmanuel quickly went at Wara five possessions in a row at the end of the one that they played here in Indy. So like all the way up and down, like you can't have that many guys who are target practice and expect to be successful. So when they actually say like, we challenged every single person in this locker room, I don't think that there's a person on the roster who doesn't have room to improve on that end of the floor. No doubt about it. I mean, the Pacers need to improve defense like humans 
need water and food. I mean, it's it's essential. However, what attribute do you feel the Pacers need to add to this team or what characteristic this offseason? That's a tough one because we don't fully know like if if they don't think that Buddy's going to be quote unquote comfortable with that role and they end up moving him because he's in a contract year and they don't know what exactly the situation is with Chris Duarte either. Maybe at that point, if Buddy's not on the roster, they're willing to see, you know, what does Chris do in his third year? Does he rebound when he's healthy? But that's too theoretical, Buddy far less theoretical and actually actualized movement shooters that are no longer going to be on the team. And Ben's just coming off of, I don't even know what his catch and shoot numbers were. I think it was around 30% and it didn't really improve when he got moved into the starting lineup. So it might be in a situation again, like movement shooting is very underrated and especially in the Pacers system with how much they have guys shake up from the corners and how that impacts tags and making that a really tough decision and how much they run stack action where the stack screener needs to actually have some gravity when they pop up out in order or leak out in order to actually get downhill and make things easier on Tyrese. That might still be a thing, even though we've just spent all this last time talking about defense. But I mean, I think it's the questions that Kevin Pritchard got asked. I think it's what we all know. The four spots, the most important thing that they need to do. Mm -hmm. And some of that's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about how easily miles slots into teams and that's true of him in and of himself but finding the right four to slot beside him is kind of tricky because you don't want to repeat what the situation was with Sabonis or Jalen Smith, even at the beginning of the season where he's not being defended by fives. You need somebody out there that's going to ensure that miles is defended by five. So he's either, you know, being able to shoot into that open space when a big's in a drop or, you know, not facing against the smaller or the quicker forwards all the time. So finding that guy, because I looked up this number this morning because we know that they were the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA. Like they gave up the highest opponent offensive rebounding rate. But I looked at their first chance defense, like even discounting the second chance opportunities, and they were still ranked 25th in defense. So the rebounding just made what was already bad defense worse. But certainly it would be nice to have somebody next to Miles because if you look at the like real adjusted uh, plus minus on defensive rebounding, he was in the net negative again this year, which that factors in like not just him getting the rebound, but does the team get the rebound when he's out on the court? And that's not just on him. Rebounding is a team thing, and that can be dictated by your defense and what types of gaps you give up. But the rebounding has to get better too. Like it can't it can't continue in the way that it was this year, and and especially if your defense is what it is. Yeah, well I, well, I definitely agree with KP that it was a year of growth, and I think they did overachieve based on what they were selling to the fan base and, and, the, and the media before the season started. I don't know how – I don't know if I would say it was two years' worth of development, but I, I do think that it was – you know, we, we saw some big steps here from this team, and I think they came from your key players and Miles and, and Tyrese for sure, and you're hoping that you can see that moving forward with other players. But my last question for you – you know, one of the things that we heard Pritchard talk about, too, is, you know, how they were very aggressive at the trade deadline and looking at going after some people and said that he's put offers on the table that he's never put on there before and that he's itching to get out there and make some moves. So there's a lot of speculation on who he may be talking about. The radio show kind of pried it out of him by getting him to, like, not fully say OG and Anobi, but kind of say that. But I'm curious, you know. Is there a player out there or maybe another player besides OG that's on your radar for who the Pacers should maybe look to target in the offseason? 
Yeah, if I had to guess who they went after, it's it's OG. I mean, I think Zach Lowe reported that. I think Jake Fisher reported it when I was on Jake Fisher's show. He said he didn't know what the offer on the table was, but that they had made contact. So I think we can probably all safely assume that those calls <laughs> were made. And my guess is the other player was probably Mikel Bridges. Like, because there was like three-way deals being discussed about, you know, maybe Fred Van Vliet going to Brooklyn. My guess is that probably uh, came into play in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe John Collins. I don't know. I was never super yeah. on board with the John Collins discussion. I'm off. Um, I was on at one point. <laughs> I, mean, I think it, that. No, no I was go just ahead. Gonna, I was just gonna say John Collins is a power forward, so I think like it just excites you because it's like, oh my gosh, someone yeah. that's like six foot nine that can, you know, sometimes shoot the ball from three. Yeah, I, I wonder. <laughs> he's a very inconsistent shooter, but that's exciting. But I'm just, I'm just curious, real quick. Do you think there's any realistic opportunity that the, the Nets? would be willing to trade bridges in the off season because I, I don't no think way. so, but no. it's, it's like, I, I just don't know where, where the nets are going because at this point their roster is all over the place. They don't have a lot of their draft. They don't have any of their draft picks really because they traded them all. How do they go about building this team? And I just, I'm just curious what you think is going on in Brooklyn. I mean, I know it doesn't really matter to the Pacers, but it does a little bit because they've got some wings there that could make sense for the Pacers. Yeah, I don't think they're going to let go of Bridges. I think the most telling thing to me was that Kevin Pritchard wanted us to know that he did that. Because mm-hmm. that's like the third time that they've brought up that they made very major offers. <laughs> and typically that makes me think that maybe they don't think that they're going to be able to get those deals done in the summer. But they want people to know that they tried to do it. Because I, I don't even think that was necessarily prompted when he brought it up. Like, I think that he just included that in there that like, look, we went harder than we ever have, which I mean, somewhat that goes in line with what the overall culture change has been to an extent, right? I mean, before they were never willing to play in restricted free agency and they gave a max offer sheet to DeAndre and before you would have never heard about them, you know, potentially taking steps backward to take steps forward. And he even said like, you know, in his way where he's always talking about options and optionality, but he even said like they weren't removing the idea of taking the picks that they have next year and potentially turning those into future picks, which, you know, would be another case of taking steps backward. Like that's not you trying to get assets or players right now today. So um, I think that was mainly what my big takeaway from it was, is that they wanted us to know that they made those offers as another, you know, kind of turn away from what we had come to know of the Pacers in terms of, you know, that they would be content with being a tough out. I don't think that they're willing to be that anymore. And I think that's probably what most people are in favor of, generally speaking. You know, I still get PTSD hearing tough out. I think the whole fan base does because it's, it's we never wanted to be more distanced from something like that than what we went through. But when you mentioned about KP making that known, I mean, the, the largest restricted offer sheet ever presented for DeAndre Ayton, things like that does go a long way and I know it hasn't paid off yet but it's at least gotten through to the fan base it's not the same old Indiana Pacers so for that that's why I do think this offseason could be one of the most important if not biggest in in years because what it's up against is bringing in a Malcolm Brogdon or bringing in a Tyreek Evans or you know obviously trading Paul George is a big deal because they're trading Paul George but even that was looked at at the time as all you got is Sabonis and Oladipo. So I do think they are getting closer to pushing the chips in. But as we as we sign off for today, Caitlin, I want to thank you very much for coming back on. We always look forward to this. You know, once a month, it's been amazing. But please tell everybody where they could find you at on social media and some of the awesome content that you're putting out. 
Right. So my handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. If you want to read my recent piece about just summarizing, I actually went back and looked at what some of my preseason takes were and assessed where that ended up by the end of the year. Um, that's at patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote, you can find the URL at my Twitter account. And then what's coming up this week is I'm actually shifting into player reviews. So those are going to start coming going up at the end of the week and, and going through the guys that were in the rotation and regularly. So that's what's next. Great stuff. And if you didn't check out the vlog today, I think you should check that oh, out. Oh, I forgot. I did have a Popsicle vlog come out for sub- that subscriber only that I compared four Popsicle flavors to Pacer teams. So that's yeah. out there too. I don't want to spoil anything on the podcast. There's a very unique flavor, number three, that we talked about off air. You got to subscribe, check it out. That's your teaser, everybody. It's it's worth the subscription. It's, what is it, three bucks, five bucks? I mean, three bucks, yep. $3, people. I mean, come on. You won't even realize that you don't have it. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Just go out there, <laughs> support Caitlin. She's doing a great job. And she's got new merch as well, I think. Is there new new merch on the way? Or is that just... Uh, when we... I'll, I'll tease it this way. When we know if somebody made the first or second all-rookie team, as we talked about, a shirt might get released in conjunction with that. So I guess I do care. I guess I do care if you ah, make second you are invested. Yeah. I am invested. Okay. If he doesn't make any rookie team, then we might not get the new shirt. So, <laughs> we, we'll we got two candidates out there. So, <laughs> man, that's a, that's a good cliffhanger to hang on uh, to end on here. So, Caitlin, thank you once again, and we will be back with Caitlin next month, unless something changes crazy. You know, she gets hired by the Pacers. You never know. Keep on the keep on the lookout for that. But uh, with that being said, Caitlin, thank you so much for for coming on once again. Thanks for having me, guys. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team.